What if you don't want to play old school games like BX or any myriad of Dungeons & Dragons clones? What if you like a little more detail in your system or something more modern? What are the barriers to playing other games? Welcome back Rescuers, I'm your host Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue. Today we have the first interview of Season 2. I've been toying with the idea of playing some different games, namely GURPS, Dungeon Fantasy and the 5e derivative Dragon Heresy. To help me figure out how to approach these games, I decided to have a chat with a well-respected game designer. We had a meandering chat, but I got some useful tips on how to make the best of each of those games. Douglas H. Cole has been role-playing since 1981, starting with the Holmes Basic Box and AD&D, and has been playing GURPS since 1998, sorry, 1988, crikey. Uh, living near Minneapolis, Doug is known as a long-time GURPS playtester, as a regular contributor to Pyramid Magazine, and as the author of GURPS Martial Arts Technical Grappling. He's an R&D manager for a major hard disk drive company, and also the mastermind of Gaming Ballistic, his own company creator of Hall of Judgment, the first licensed third-party content for Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, and also the Dragon Heresy role-playing game based on the 5th edition SRD. Doug is a rising star in the hobby community. For me, Douglas has provided the best supplement for any D&D type game in the form of Dungeon Grappling, a set of rules designed to bring to life the most common and heroic struggles in literature. Welcome to the show, Doug. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. What a great intro. Makes me sound like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I try my best. I got a, a an out of the blue question for you. So, which would you choose, player or game master? I ha- I like to play. Uh, not the least of which because uh, schedule. It's easier for me to sit down and play a character, and and you know, um, I like to worry about the de- when I'm running a game. I like to really worry about the details and stuff, and so it takes a lot more time. So. I like doing both, though. I've, I've recently got back into game mastering a little bit, and uh, mm. it, it is an awful lot of fun, especially from a design perspective. If you're if you're trying out things that uh, uh, that you're playing, it's it's really great to see what jives with people and and what how they grab it and what where they kind of look at you funny, like your lips are moving, and yet nothing is really <laughs> making sense to me. Um, and, you know, you mentioned dungeon grappling, and that's a case where people are like, oh, so what do I do? I'm like, you do everything that you always do. Roll to hit, and if you hit, you roll damage. And, like, that's it? I'm like, that's it. They're like, that is so cool, right? And it's, <laughs> oh, well, could I do this? And I'm like, yes, yes, you can do that. Um, whereas, you know, like, you know, there's some thing I was running, uh, playing, actually, in a Dragon Heresy game. And the difference, you know, bows are treated a little differently because, you know, you can't just defend against an arrow unless you have something that can def- like a shield or something that can block the arrow and that was confusing people a little bit um once people got it it was it was not difficult of course but it, it convinced me that i need a little flow chart or something that's just like when do i have to decide how this works and and so but it was great design feedback to see where people were tripping up so but yeah but by and large i like both i tend to enjoy playing more um, but truthfully what I really should do. So as me, I like to play as a designer. I need to both run my own game and see how other people run it. Like, well, I'm like 
creeping in the background watching where people like to do things and how. So it's about looking for reactions and things, yeah. Looking for reactions, looking for where people are like, oh my god, that is the coolest thing ever, and where people <laughs> are like, uh, yeah, no, that's, we're just going to change that rule right now. Um, as an example, right, Dragon Heresy has a little bit of... Uh, of a cool thing in it. I think it's cool. Uh, fleeting, F-L-Y-T-I-N-G. Uh, Viking rap battles, basically. They were skaldic verse insult contests. And there was a rhythm and a meter and a rule to it. Then, so they were kind of sing-song and they used kennings and you know, you'd have the two people insulting each other in skaldic verse. So really Viking rap battle. Um, so I have a little quick system <laughs> in there to allow people to engage in conflict that isn't i beat the bejesus out of you with a sword that really has an impact on the game and and how your perception is and oh were you clever and swift on your feet and blah 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 stuff that was important to the culture at the time but it's still just a fairly simple rule set and i showed it to the young lady who was running the game for us yesterday and she's like this is so cool i have to use that and when you hear stuff like that, you know, it makes your heart kind of quicken a little bit as a designer because it's it's inspiring people to do something other than let's beat on each other until the hit points are gone. Yeah, I like I like that rule. I all I like about it is it's very specific, it's very targeted. It's a sort of set of behaviors that, you know, your character can go through. Um, you know, as you said, in, as an alternative to hitting people. Um, but it's not that generic rule of, you know, social combat or whatever it's, it's it's a very specific thing with rules like you said and right uh, sort of traditions right and 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 the nice thing about it is is once you see what the mechanic is you're going to be like oh well that's a very specific application of one of the maybe three basic mechanics in fifth edition right there's the hit roll 1d20 plus a bonus against the target number mm -hmm. there's a contest which is 1d20 plus a bonus against somebody else's 1d20 plus a bonus um, and then there's an effect roll, damage, control, whatever. Um, you know, and even a very complicated, or sorry, like that, a, a system that is infinitely more modular, I think, than most of the D&D games. Although I, I, I will cop to the fact that I know nothing about 4th edition. Um, but, uh, you know, like something like a GURPS is really just roll 3d6 against your skill. The only question is, what's your skill? And you have as many or as few modifiers as the game master and player can swallow um, yeah. to get to that final skill number. And usually GURPS, rep GURPS reputation, if I can might di uh, digress for a sec, GURPS reputation for complexity is based on fundamentally two things, three things I'd say. One is the vast amount of deliberately self-contradictory rules and, <laughs> and supplements that are designed to support different genres and are not meant to be played together. Yeah. Uh, number two is there are an awful lot of modifiers that you can come to uh, to to be come to bear uh, that you can bring to bear. Uh, and three is uh, the GURPS vehicles meta system, which is not required for play, and yet all of the math that makes actually designing a car or a jet plane or a single stage to orbit jet, all of that math, or or actually like even drawing a bow or sailing a ship, the math behind how that works can be very, very complicated because the physics are very, very complicated. And in attempting to bring that to anybody with a, a calculator or a slide rule or whatever, uh, or sorry, calculator or pen and paper, you know, David had to present that math. And I think a lot of GURPS's complexity 
you know, and I didn't help, right? I wrote The Deadly Spring, which has in it the <laughs> nasty transcendental equation table. Because uh, as it turns out, you need a supercomputer to solve the bow and arrow problem, or you can just go build a bow and arrow, um, which which preceded, you know, you can shoot a bow and arrow and shoot it 300, 300 yards and kill things with it 10,000 years before you could actually solve the equations on how that energy gets delivered to the target with all the flexing of the arrow and the archer's paradox and how much energy is absorbed in the string and blah, blah, blah. It's actually a super difficult problem. Uh, on the one hand, what that's that. On the other, you really just want to say, I roll against bow 14, I made it by three, what happens? Oh, you hit, roll damage, right? So a lot of the design, the meta system stuff that went into GURPS is front-ended, front-loaded, and the mm. play simplicity of it is roll 3d6 and tell me what you get. Um, and, and that's, uh, that's an important distinction I think is, is the front loaded complexity leading into play as opposed to what happens at the table. Yeah. I mean, you kind of like completely preempted a question I have new gamers wanting to come into GURPS and GURPS is a game I definitely want to talk about with you today. Um, a new gamer coming into playing GURPS, you know, like how do you not fry your head? Are you saying, actually, there's not much head to be fried? So I think that the, if I'm... So I did this at GameholeCon uh, in November. Uh, I had seven or eight people playing Hall of Judgment, the, the, the book that I wrote. Mm. Um, I was running the game, and I handed them uh, pregens, a pregenerated character. And I was like, here's the stats. Here's how you make an attack roll. Here's your disadvantages uh, that talk about how your character limits their approach to interacting with the world. Oh, I have bloodlust. What does that mean? It means you're just going to kick them when they're down, right? <laughs> Go ahead and punch them. Oh, he's, oh he's, he's, he's wavering in unconsciousness. Kick him in the nuts. Stab him a few extra times, right? <laughs> you're going to make sure that guy's down. And, the, and when you describe it like that, people are like, ooh, ooh, ooh. So I'm like the Punisher. You are the Punisher, right? Um <laughs> You know, you're not just going to let somebody off with a warning. You're going to make sure that they never steal your coffee from the fridge again. Um, and, and so you bring it up that way. And but you're like, I'm not going to bother you with building the character, but I'm going to give you something just to go play. And there was one guy at my game who had played GURPS before and the other six never did. And you couldn't tell. They even figured out the magic system. Right, you know, sp you know, spending fatigue and casting spells and blah blah blah. You know, yeah, where there were a couple of questions. Well, how does this work in particular? Um, and on the spot, I was like, "This is how it works." Well, is it really well? No, but it, it'll do for today. Um, was that the inspiration <laughs> for putting like what is it, eighteen characters at the back of the adventure? Yes. Full stop. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's sixteen of them in there, okay. and. Uh, yeah, get, getting started in the dungeon fantasy role-playing game, if you're first... So let me, let me contrast two examples. Um, West End Games D6 Star Wars. Yeah. I once took 15 novice role-players. It took me an hour, and every single one of those guys was ready to play at the end, and most of them hadn't played before. You know, Here's a pool of dice. 2D is Joe Average. 4 or 5D is awesome. This is what these things do. Go. Yeah. And every single one of those people, it, it took on the average four or five minutes to make a character, and then we were ready to go play Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Well, if you were to take what could be potentially 250 individual choices, because at Dungeon Fantasy, actually 300, because a Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game character uh, 
is based around 250 points that you could potentially spend one point at a time, even though you tend not to. Um, And actually, it's more like it's 300 points because you've got 50 points of disadvantages uh, that add to your sort of positive point total, so to speak. So if you make people front load that and say, I'm going to show you the meta system behind how this character is built, I think that's where probably GURPS loses most of its fans. Yeah. God, I mean, if you if this is if this is what character generation is like, the game must be impossible. No, no, it, it, you do the work up front. It's like six, it's like design for Six Sigma. Actually, you do all the work up front so that you never have a problem in production. GURPS is a lot like that. I think when I um a few months ago I had a go. I thought I'll sit down again. You know, I've got fourth edition. I've had it since it came out. It's about time I actually played this thing again. Um, and I sat down, I just did a, I think it was a 50 point character, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was doable. That was kind of, I could get my head around that. Um, and I did a couple of fights, a couple of characters, did a couple of fights, you know, kind of get my head around it. No problem. Um, and I think, what we, you know, you're right. When you start thinking about a standard 150 point character, you know, that sort of heroic level that GURPS encourages as a baseline, that becomes yeah more of a headache but when i look at dungeon fantasy rpg i am looking at 250 point character yeah you're right i i'm probably best to to pull a pre-gen because my head's gonna explode with those choices right and 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 so yeah pre-gens is a great way to start and then someone looks at their character and says well i'd rather do this instead of that and you're like that's no problem right that's no problem here's this here's that here's how they interact um, this character was built off of a template. How would you like to build your own? And the templates, uh, there are two things. One is the template system, which is quite excellent, really. Um, the other is uh, Sean Punch, unsurprisingly, wrote two really amazing articles. Uh, Sean is the uh, GURPS line editor. Um, yeah. And a great guy, by the way, if you ever get a chance to talk to him. He's super awesome. Um, but uh, one is called, I think, Buckets of Points. And the other is called Pointless Looting and Slaying. And they're in the Pyramid Magazine um and pyramid magazine over various issues but pointless looting and slaying basically took the player facing points out and said you're going to take like a base kind of character and you're going to take some major abilities some minor abilities and some foibles or something like that and Hmm. all of them are built with the gurps point by system in the background but none of that is player facing and so by adding up a certain number of these things, you come out with a very playable character that is internally consistent, but is a lot faster. At this point, Doug's mic kind of gave up on him, so he had to change back to his basic computer one. Um, we'll return to the interview, but I just want to let you know that, you know, quality dropped a little here. Yeah, so the bucket of points and the pointless looting and slaying are both ways of taking the crunch of player facing choices and making them more descriptive. So it's like, Oh, I'm going to be the agile character. And that has implications on where the points go in the background. And I'm going to be a bow expert with a criminal past. And and each of those assigns you certain abilities. Hmm. And it's a way of entering into GURPS character generation in a more descriptive way which mm. I think most people can understand and, and grasp rather than a uh, Boolean menu choice that is 300 skills deep. 
<laughs> is uh, is is what it boils down to. So those there are some ways that the game can be approached from a less computationally intensive front loading. Um, and honestly, I would have perhaps embraced that a little more. Um, but I, I do understand why they did not for the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game in particular. I mean, I guess the big problem is that um, uh, someone listening to this and thinking about getting back into the hobby is going to be saying, yeah, okay, I hear that. And here there's a way into GURPS, but isn't it just easier to play, you know, I don't know, Dungeons & Dragons or something else? What would you say? You know, I, I think to, to a, a certain extent... Um, Yes, that's true. It's it's true for a couple different reasons, though, and a lot of those have to do with what you might call externalities. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, in general, right? Uh, fifth edition, Pathfinder, old school Renaissance, mm. um, and and various versions of that probably own eighty to ninety percent of the gaming market. So you can go into any store. Actually, you know, you can go into Barnes and Noble, or if you can find a Barnes and Noble or, or Borders, uh, Barnes and Noble still exists. I guess Borders closed, but you can go in there and there's a wall of D and D. You know, here in Minnesota, there's also maybe Fantasy Flight because Star Wars, regardless of what company is publishing it, has such a footprint in modern culture that uh, everyone recognizes it. So you're going to sell it. But, you know, D&D is, is role-playing to most people. And so mm. you're always going to have an easier time finding people to play with and finding someone who can tell you about the game or explain the game in a way that works for you. GURPS, not so much. Um, there's, there's probably 80 to 100 people that play GURPS for every... I'm oh, sorry, play D&D for everyone that plays uh, uh, GURPS. That being said, um, if I were to say, I want you to start with a 14th level Pathfinder character, GURPS is probably easier. Right. Because you really need to understand how all the systems interact in Pathfinder. Um, you know, people, you know, way, the way the same way that people dismiss GURPS as being too mathy, people call Pathfinder Mathfinder. Mm. You know, there are certain combos of feats and stuff that you really need to have. And I'm by far from a Pathfinder expert, but I know that fifth edition deliberately went away from some of that. Um to, to try and get to play faster. So from a, you know, your point earlier about, oh, I made up a 50 point character. Well, you can probably do that uh, with GURPS in a couple of minutes, especially if you're just making, you know, oh, I'm going to be a little bit fast, a little bit strong, good in a couple of skills. All right, now let's play. And as long as the game master doesn't punish you for being a 50 point character in a game that's you know in a world that he's set up for uh 300 point adversaries well as long as you're in your element you can get started with GURPS in the same way that you can get started with a first level fifth edition character yeah. right assign these stats here's your equipment here's a couple choices you need to make now let's go kill some orcs <laughs> so it really depends on how you if you if you drop somebody into a 500 point GURPS game that's like dropping them into an epic level Pathfinder game. It's, it's the complexity is not that different, and the rules master you're required to play is not that different. So are you saying the dungeon fantasy RPG at 250 points is is like playing I don't know eighth, tenth level D and D? that's how it feels to me. Yeah, I've heard it said before that it's something like 50 points plus 25 points per level. 
-hmm. in terms of basic capability. Um, it's very imperfect, right? That kind of, you can't really map well, that, sure. but yeah, I would say, I would say, right. Cause you got, uh, at 250 points, uh, you can expect usually your fighters to make a couple attacks cause they've got skills in the 20 range. So you could probably make anywhere between two and three, two solid attacks or three ones that are a little risky. Mm -hmm. And, and that's about mid level. You know, if you're a two weapon fighter or whatever at, at between fifth and 10th level where you've got you know, your fighter has two to your foot. Most, most of your melee guys have two attacks, um, stuff like that. So yeah, I'd, I'd say that your DFRPG is, uh, that feels right. Six to 10, depending. Mm. Cause, cause the dungeon game is you're not bad at anything, right? Even the stuff that you're not awesome at, you're still pretty good. You're rolling against your stat mm. or you're rolling against, you know, skill levels in the 10 to 12 range. And that's quite competent. You just happen to be like skill level 16 to 20 in what you're really good at. And somebody else's skill level in 16 to 20 in what they're really good at. So you, you have some areas of true expertise uh, to the point where at Gen Con, when I first played the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game demo, even as a GERT expert, they didn't bother... I want, I want to say... I think it was they didn't really bother... Uh, having you make de defense rolls, but you could have gone the other way and actually be more accurate to go the other way where as a GURPS attacker at 250 points, you're pretty much going to hit unless you're doing crazy stuff like, you know, trying to stab somebody in the eye while doing gymnastics in a hurricane. <laughs> um, right. So, but if you're basically just, Oh, I'm swinging for the torso, I'm just going to hit the guy then most of the melee combatants are rolling at like a 98% chance to hit. They're rolling 16 or less on 3d6, which you almost can't fail. And the only real question isn't, do you hit? It's, can they defend against it? Because that's really the rate-limiting step. And so from that perspective, you could actually run a really good game where you say, oh, I attacked this guy. And you say, okay, you're going to hit him unless they defend. And that then the, the agency is really on the defender to resolve that. Um, and that would actually take out a lot of the modifier hunting that is kind of a, the learning curve that, that is, is GURPS on the attacking end. Mm. Um, and it wouldn't necessarily be wrong, right? You just, you're just describing how you do it. Yeah. It, it sounds like you could do a low-power dungeon crawl type game with GURPS. Um, it just yeah. mean dialing down the points. Is that is that what we're suggesting? That's absolutely true. Uh, you dial down the points, you dial down the opposition, and you people need to realize that in GURPS, the, the fundamental issue that people have in approaching GURPS combat usually tends to revolve around what you can get done in one second. The, the, the granularity of the, the second-by-second turn mm. uh, makes it so that like, if you want to stand up, First, you get to kneeling, and then you get to standing. And so it takes two seconds, whereas most of the other games have rounds or whatever of five to ten seconds long. So you can do a lot more. Hmm. So it, it happens in more narrative chunks, whereas GURPS has chosen to itemize what you can do. So as long as you understand that don't worry about spamming the attack button, so to speak, <laughs> just... Take your time, set up your attack, work with your friends, and then dogpile that guy over there. And when he's dead, dogpile that guy over there. 
Um, as long as you understand that it's a much more deliberate pace, but because of that, each turn is supposed to matter less. It, it, it's okay. The problem is that I think what happens is it, unless everybody is on board with that, you've got the, the one player who's like, oh, and I'm going to do this and this and this. <laughs> um, and then the other people are like, well, if I don't do this, this and this in one turn, I'm not getting as much spotlight time. And it's not an ego thing. It's literally true. If you do this and this and this and this, then that player is going to be five minutes on their turn. And if it's like, oh, I step. Okay, well, that's great. I step. That even actually uh, uh, makes it uh, important for certain things like I aim, which is a huge deal, right, to aim with a bow and mm -hmm. arrow because your hit chances at range combat might not be that great. But like to just say, oh, I aim, and then you come back around 10 minutes later because everyone else is taking all these turns. You know, there, there are things that, uh, that the group needs to have shared expectations yeah. uh, that if you don't, then play will devolve to certain, certain ways. Yeah, I find playing with it. I mean, we we played a bit of um, the Dungeon of Fantasy role playing game with the school club that I run um, way back. Um, um, one of the things that was really interesting was watching young players who had very little expectation, um, kind of very quickly run around the table, you know, second by second. So they just kind of go, okay, I step, and the next guy goes, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna whack the guy, and the other guy goes, oh, I'm gonna try and trip him up, you know, and they kind of whiz around the table that way, and it felt quite pacey actually. Um, you know, quite good. But of course, once they started playing fifth edition or other games, you know, they, they come back to something like GURPS and they're thinking, well, why do I have to do everything second by second? Um, so what I'm saying, I guess, is that, yeah, I can see where the expectations, if you've ingrained yourself in six or 10 second rounds, then one second is, you know, finite, isn't it? Tiny. It, it really is. And, and, you know, there's, there's a couple places where that really bites um, bites in the, it, when I say bites, I don't mean like, oh, it bites. I mean, what I mean is it, it, it hurts the fun. If you're ever out of combat and let's say your character's encumbered, you could take 10 seconds to get from being out of combat to being engaged. Mm -hmm. And with the relative fragility of targets in GURPS, if you actually are hitting them and doing damage, uh, you could basically spend your entire game trying to get to the fight. That actually happened with me with a character that I made uh, in a game where we were playing Dungeon Fantasy, not the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, but Dungeon Fantasy, yeah. uh, through the Pathfinder Jade Regent Adventure Path. I had a paladin, holy warrior character who was wearing all this nice heavy armor, and we and the, the rest of all the rest of the characters had optimized themselves for mobility. They all literally flew or teleported into combat, <laughs> and I'm sitting there plodding along it move two or three and everything was just over by the time I reached the battle. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> um, especially when it happened like three times in, in that particular game. Um, because the, the place where you had opportunity to be aware of the fight, usually we had good perception. And so there was some standoff to it. Um, and so by the time I was engaged in the fight, it was over and that was very frustrating. So, you know, there can be stuff like that. The other is, is, uh, you know, like, you know, if I drop my keys in the car, you know, think about how long it can take to fish around to pick them up. And, oh, you know, I fumble it a little bit. I pick it up. Oh, I dropped it again. Darn it. It went between the seat. Right. If you think about that's 10 or 15 seconds and you're like, OK, fine, whatever. That's 10 or 15 rounds in, in GURPS time. 
right? That's that's 10 or 15 failed dex rolls. That That's a... I'm knocking the table over, spilling the Coke and, and, <laughs> and leaving and never playing again. So, so there's a, the, the one second time frame works really, really well for certain things for the period of furious engagement where you're actually fighting attack, defend, attack, defend. Things really do happen that fast, uh, for firearms, uh, especially when you can pull the trigger quite a bit or you're engaging in fully automatic gunfire or whatever, mm. uh, things really do happen on a second by second basis. And, and that's really what decides the combat for most other things, including like, you know, circling and evaluating and a couple of probes and, you know, engaging in discussion like we're having now or whatever. Most of that happens on a much, much more extended timescale a game that successfully navigated what you might call fractal time where you can zoom in and zoom out seamlessly hmm. uh, would probably worth playing. So you got to say like with GURPS, the GM needs to be very fluid with time, I guess. Like, am I going to zoom in on that combat thing when I really need it? The rest of the time, perhaps be more relaxed. I, I think that makes for really good games. You, you, you focus on, and you think about that, right? I mean, think about the matrix or any movie, right? Mm. When you really want to emphasize, or here, but even better, the Wonder Woman movie, right? Mm. The, 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 the Wonder Woman movie, you know, that had a lot of stuff that was done real time. But when you wanted to show Wonder Woman being a superhero, it was always slow-mo because she reacts so much faster than a human that that's the only way you could capture what she was doing. Mm. And so you'd see that, oh, I'm blocking the bullets one by one with my bracelet. I'm seeing this one, and that's not threatening anyone, so I'm going to ignore that one so I could focus on this one. And they would show it in slow-mo till the audience sh saw what it was about, and then they'd speed it up, and you see this blur, and no civilians are hurt, <laughs> and the bad guy has just been kicked through a window into the next window, into the next building. Um, and, and is now a sack of bloody gravel. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's not how it works in the comic books. That's how it works in the, the Zack Snyder movies, though. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry, that was a cheap shot. Um, but yeah, so I'm exactly right. I mean, just like a, a cinematographer is going to telescope the scene as needed. Like Lord of the Rings, great example. We must hold this path for 40 days. And they show a bunch of scenes of walking. And here you're walking through a green valley. And here you're walking through a forest and the trees are orange. And here's a thing. Now you're walking through snow because not only have you gone up into the mountains, but you've been going for, you've been walking for a whole damn season, but you're not going to spend all of that time mapping out every mile of the journey, unless you want your players to kill you. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so yeah, there, there is a certain amount of, of dialing the fast forward knob as is required for dramatic tension. That's not unique to GURPS. I think it's on the narrow end, it's unique to GURPS uh, on the, the one to six second switch. Yeah. Uh, but everywhere from combat time to narrative time, that's simply a storytelling skill uh, that is almost independent of rule set. Yep. I, uh, I wanted to ask, actually, because Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, we've been talking about it a little bit. Um, you got to be the first licensee for Steve Jackson's games, you know, Dungeon Fantasy RPG, the big box, which, you know, is gorgeous. Uh, I have to ask, how did that feel? 
Uh, it, I, I will admit it, it, whenever, and you know, publishing and self, the, the, the old statement is if you ever want to make a small fortune in the, uh, role-playing games, publishing industry, start with a much larger fortune, uh, and work your way down. <laughs> um, so, you know, you don't, you don't do this sort of thing for heaping gobs of cash. Uh, it feels really, really good. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's a tremendous nod from a, a real pro. I mean, Steve Jackson games is one of the two or three companies that still exists in, in its original form mm. um, as a going concern. So, you know, people have said, oh, well, they don't care about GURPS anymore. It's all Munchkin. And well, if you've seen the cash flow statements that they publish, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to keep the lights on. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, it was great. Right. You know, I uh, obviously it doesn't just happen. Right. I, I started uh, writing for them in 2002 with mm. a couple pyramid articles and then you'd play test a lot uh, and then more pyramid articles. And then I said, Hey, I'd like to write a book and you know, they let me. And so that was a learning process and, you know, but you know, Steve, the, the, the GURPS license, so to speak, was pretty closed mm. um, and has been pretty closed except for some rare uh, cross licensing things when there was a, Usually when there was a significant piece of intellectual property like Discworld, Conspiracy X, mm. uh, Mars Attacks, uh, stuff like that, um, and, and where the, it would cross over. Um, but, you know, it, it's the, the GURPS was pretty closed. And so I was like, boy, you know, I'd really like to start doing some stuff, but GURPS is closed. And so I and, and, and you know, D&D was so much bigger. So I got into that. Um, and, you know, it's so it's easier to play a game. And, you know, so I played a little Swords and Wizardry and I played a little of this, a little of that. And I started to do my own publishing using a lot of the lessons that I learned from Steve Jackson Games mm. about writing uh, coherently and some of my project management skills for my day job. And, you know, then I was going to come up with Dragon Heresy. And I talked to Kevin Crawford, who's a, a name that if you're not familiar with, you should be, because he does pretty amazing products and very... Uh, uh, very well-funded Kickstarters. And he's like, boy, if you really lead with this product that is probably $150,000 to do right, you're really stupid. Because <laughs> um, no one's going to fund it. And you're never going to be able to do it. I'm like, well, that's a really mean thing to say that happens to be totally true. Um, so so I said, well, what can I do? And then I thought, well, I could do my grappling system or I could do something else. And the something else uh, was really somebody else's, right? It was, uh, I, I had borrowed and incorporated uh, the adventure conqueror king domain management system into the into the advanced rules of the game, and Kevin was like, "That sounds really cool." I'm like, "Yeah, but that's if if someone's going to do that, it should be the person who wrote them, which is Alex." Mm. Um, and so I uh, then uh, said, "Okay, well, I think that I could do take the grappling system that I originally did for GURPS and make it really sing in D and D." And I did that, and that was the dungeon grappling book yeah. um, that. Uh, that I published and it was pretty and it's profitable. And it's um, very good. And <laughs> you know, it, 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 I mean, it's not keeping gobs of cash, but you know, I, I paid for the whole book on the Kickstarter and then the few hundred sales that uh, we've had since then have been gravy, right? You know, it's, mm. uh, it's not making me a lot of money, but that, that started gaming ballistic off. Right. And that taught me some things about running Kickstarters and project management and, Hey, you know, when you do a Kickstarter and you deliver early, people are really impressed because nobody ever delivers early. I'm like, well, <laughs> let's make a habit of that. So it really helped. And then I did a little, uh, well, I did Lost Hall of Tear, which was okay. And then 
Uh, I did Dragon Heresy, finally. Uh, I decided I was going to do it at the beginning of last year. Mm. I did it, and uh, it, it did well enough. And, you know, I'm still 10 grand in the hole <laughs> from making that game. Um, but that's okay. That was my vanity project. And uh, then I asked, uh, when Dungeon Fantasy Roleplaying Game came out, I was at Gen Con, and I talked to Steve, and I'm like, hey, I've got an adventure that I'm running here for 5th edition that I think would be really great. And he's like, you know, there's going to come a time in the future where we're going to need support for this. So ask me then. So I sat on my hands and sat on my hands and sat on my hands and, you know, look, look like someone has to go to the bathroom, right? You know, just sort of bouncing back and forth in my chair. <laughs> Can I ask it? Can I ask it? Can I ask it? And then finally, I'm like, okay, I think it's time. And so I asked and you know, they said yes, and we worked out the contract details, and the details were really quite beneficial. Uh, they were they were not onerous at all, and they uh, you have you know for their life they really treat their licensees right. You know, you have a lot of freedom to reuse material and do what you need to do. And you know what they said to me after the fact was I was really easy to work with, um, and that I didn't require a lot of supervision. I went and did my thing and came back and said here it is, and they said okay, this looks really pretty, go. And that was it. And of course, you know, the, the GURPS fans, the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game fans really stood up and delivered. It was my, it was, you know, for a product that was 20 or $25, um, I may, I brought in almost $15,000 on the Kickstarter itself. And then a few thousand more in the, uh, in the post game, the backer kit phase. Mm. So, I mean, it was between 17 and $18,000. It's really been, probably my most successful crowdfunding campaign uh and it certainly is the most profitable um now it didn't hurt that a lot of the art and the writing were done from lost hall but i i doubled the size of that book yeah it's gorgeous <laughs> uh you know 16 pregens the grappling system a whole lot more about town but what started as a 64 page book ended at 128 um so there was a lot of new content and you know the 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 GURPS community uh, really stood up and said, yeah, we want this. Um, and hopefully in 2019, we'll stand up again uh, as many as three times, maybe four, um, and say, I want more of this. I guess that's one thing you can depend upon if you play GURPS or if you're involved in GURPS, isn't it? That community will stand up for you and support you. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I, it's... You know, people are picky. Um, not every, you know, and there's a lot of people who are like, but but why fantasy? Does it have to be fantasy? I'm like, well, first of all, that's the license that I have, right? I don't I don't have a license to write for GURP space. Uh, in fairness, I have not asked for a license to write for GURP space, but that's what I have, um, and it is the most accessible accessible market. But you know, who knows what will happen in the future? I don't have any plans. This is not a coy hint, mm. um, but. Uh, you know, my, my, my company and my blog is Gaming Ballistic. I'd like to do something that involves explosions at some point. <laughs> and you write about them so well as well. I remember looking over articles where you're statting up various different weapon, you know, firearms. And um, I found that, you know, there's a part of me that's amused and there's a part of me that was really grateful because, you know, I mean, I could have all that verisimilitude in my game if I wanted it. And that, and that's really the thing is that the nice, great thing about designing in GURPS is that it is based in reality. And if you do a... If you do your homework a little bit, your games are going to feel really, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say they're really real, because there's nothing real about superheroes. There's nothing real about, uh, you know, playing 
the basically the, the lead characters from uh, one of the uh, uh, Expendables movies, right? Yeah. Where they're all amazing shots and blah, blah, blah. That isn't necessarily real, but it's going to feel like you're there. You're going to have that plausible verisimilitude that really allows for some great immersion if you want that. Mm. Okay. My listeners are people coming back to the hobby. What would what advice would you give? What tips would you give to someone who's been out of it for a while and kind of wants to get back to the table? You know, I mean, I guess the uh, the first thing that I'd say is, you know, find a game and play it. Uh, you can either find one online or you can find one, uh, you know, if you're going to find one like at clubs or like a game store or something, it's probably going to be D&D. Uh, that's not necessarily a problem, but it's, it's just kind of the way it is. It's the biggest thing, market out there. You know, I guess I would just say, you know, if you're coming back to it, you know, the modern systems tend to be fairly unified in their mechanics, you know, roll 1d20 plus a bonus against a target number kind of stuff. So from a rules perspective, you know, just leave your baggage behind and, and play your character. Um, you know, if you drop into a Powered by the Apocalypse game, you may have different assumptions you have to learn. Um, but a lot of the modern games, whether it's GURPS or D&D, especially have made a great deal of effort to be friendly to people who got into the hobby in 1975 or whatever. Um, and so it'll be recognizable, but, uh, the, the easiest thing I think to get back into the hobby is to, to either start or find a group online uh, and play through a virtual tabletop or something like that. So that way you don't have to drive somewhere or whatever. Uh, you know, the, the past the pizza part of it, uh, is something I miss. I, you know, I've got a four-year-old and a nine-year-old, so I don't always get out to to play, mm. but I do play uh, once a week um, and sometimes a little bit more. Um, but like yesterday, I had a face-to-face game with the guys at the, the Viking Martial Arts School that, uh, uh, that I train at, and uh, it was great to sit around, and someone else was running the game that I wrote, which was awesome. Um, and... <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I was a player in her game, so I wasn't going to tell her how to do stuff. Um, and that's the uh, that's the thing is just relax and go with it and play your character. And, you know, don't sweat. Don't sweat the details right away is, I guess, the biggest the biggest uh, advice that I'd say. Mm. Uh, you know, if you fall into a group that's totally about sweating the details, find another group until you're comfortable with the details. Right. Every group has their own thing. And some people are like really deep into the minutiae. And that's not a great way to restart, I think. You're saying kind of dive in, have a game, chill out, you know, roll with it. Yeah, you know, I mean, th- yes, exactly. I mean, if you're trying to recapture like an Avalon Hill feel where you're moving every unit and stuff, you're in a, uh, a strata of experience seeking that is a, not really a beginning level, right? That's... You're not looking at the, gee, what is this role-playing thing about? You're trying to capture the the puppeteer feeling of being in control, all of these moving parts, in which case you're really just looking for what's your vector to, to become an expert again, mm. right? You're not really like, oh, I'm easing back into the hobby after a bad experience or just I don't have time for it anymore, didn't have time for it, and now I do, right? If that's the case, then you're going to want to, not jump in something that's going to be like, oh, okay, in order to play this game for two hours or four hours on the weekend, you need 40 hours of prep work and out-of-character discussion, <laughs> right? That's that's not going to help you get back into the game. So, you know, if you're coming in because 
you had some children or something, or you you're you had a consulting job and you're always on the road and so you couldn't play, uh, or you know life hit you hard and you had a medical problem and you were down for a while and you're getting back into it. Bite off something that's sort of rules light or quick and easy or, or low overhead. Uh, don't I would say don't jump back into running a game unless that's the only way you can play. Uh, in which case, you know, look for published stuff that you can just run off the shelf. And, 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 and you know, most people, I think, including myself, um, who are older, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in my late 40s now. Uh, you know, we have, a lot of us have more resources than time. And so it's, it's easier to, 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 it's easier to find the games than to find time to play the games. And so doing something like running Hall of Judgment or, or some of the other great indie stuff or, or published stuff out there will help absorb the overhead requirements for, for some of the stuff. Thanks for that. It's really um, it's actually insightful, that thing about, you know, you, we may have more resources than we do time. Uh, time being the, the one resource that we have a finite amount of. <laughs> right. I mean, the, uh, yeah, and that's really what, uh, one of the reasons why I say, hey, I really like to play rather than run. It's not that I don't enjoy running games. I love running games. It's just that my bar for making sure that the people who have given me their time have fun is pretty high. I think we all have that problem. We hold ourselves to pretty high standards of what, uh, mm. what that would be. And so, you know, I really want to run a game that, that, smooth that goes well and no one's sitting there on their phone because i happen to have written an adventure that their character is useless in or whatever you know you just want to do the work i you know i can't help but want to do the work to make sure that these guys have a good time and uh that requires that requires one of two things either it's a lot of prep work or the right framework and if i might make a gratuitous plug for myself right now go on I'm hoping that this next adventure that comes out for the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, which is called The Citadel at Nordborn, that one is based around what I call a relationship web. Mm. So it's a network of interactions between main factions and NPCs that if you pluck one of those strings, the whole web kind of resonates. Mm. Um, with only that little web, that little diagram, it's a mind map, basically, I ran through four hours of completely improv play in a Twitch game. Perfectly. Wow. It was just, oh, you're doing this. Well, here are the three or four different interactions that come into that string. So these guys are going to react this way. These guys are going to try and help you. These guys are going to try and kill you. And these guys are going to alter their plans like that. And then when they went off and interacted with those plans, you knew who was for and against. And I got to tell you, that really worked, especially with D&D, &D especially you have the monster manual and the NPCs and you can just sort of say, oh, I'll go three skeletons and you pull three skeletons, <laughs> right? Uh, the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game Monsters book and the, the bestiary that Crom keeps teasing online. It's, you know, they, they had the announcement that they were going to consider doing yeah. it. Um, all of that just makes it for easy, low overhead play. Mm. And if you can start with a relationship web as, as your basic game design and work from there, uh, I think that you would find all gaming and GURPS in particular 
gets a lot more smooth and less overhead to play. So I'm hoping to deliver that in an 80 to 128 page book in the first quarter of this year. Fantastic. So, I mean, the last thing I really wanted to ask about was why did you switch from kind of GURPS to fifth, uh, fifth edition? And if you're like, what would make Dragon Heresy, which is your fifth edition, you know, uh, adaptation? What, what, what would make that a really good game for a returner? Oh, Dragon Heresy? Mm. Yeah, that one is, that one is uh, uh, first of all, that focuses on low-level play where the expectations of what goes into it are pretty low. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're going to have one attack. You're going to have some basic set of powers. Uh, at fifth level, you get two attacks maybe and some cool stuff. But the overhead that you have to manage is pretty, really low. Yeah. Um, if you've played role-playing at all, you've probably played D&D, which probably means that you've played fifth edition. <laughs> so the barrier to entry and understanding there is really easy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the the rules that I have are like, you know, the GURPS rules and the 5th edition rules went out behind the shed and did something inappropriate, <laughs> and they had a baby. And, and Dragon Heresy plays a lot like that. Um, so there's some things in there you're like, hey, wait a minute, you took like you took that from GURPS. Yes, I absolutely took that from GURPS. <laughs> um, you can do more with shields in Dragon Heresy. There's the grappling system that started with te- te- technical grappling, which is a GURPS thing. Armor subtracts from damage. It doesn't make you harder to hit. Um there's a couple other things. You'd be like, hey, that feels like a GURPSy thing. And they're like, yes, yes, it does. Oh, aim and evaluate, right? You can take a turn to aim and evaluate, and that gives you advantage on your next attack. By the way, the advantage-disadvantage mechanic in 5th edition, I know they weren't necessarily the first to do it, but it's brilliant. Mm. It is so awesome. Um, GURPS has it too, by the way. It's called the luck roll. Um <laughs> or the tactics re-rolls or something. So the, the opportunity to roll the same thing more than once is a, a way of influencing modifiers and stuff that uh, doesn't require stopping the game to look stuff up. So it's brilliant. Anyway, so, so Dragon Heresy is a lot like that. Um, it, I think it's got an easy entry point. Um, I'm, you know, I'm publishing material for it. Of course, it's exactly the same material that I'm publishing for, uh, Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. Interestingly enough, the world of Dragon Heresy started as a Dungeon Fantasy campaign scene. Mm. So it started there, but I'm like, well, I can't publish that. I mean, Steve Jackson Games at the time didn't do that. And then 5th Edition came out with the System Reference Dictionary and the Open Gaming License. And so they made it easy. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a huge market. Uh, however, it's a huge market that Wizards of the Coast is doing a great job filling. <laughs> Right now, I mean, they come out with these $50, several hundred page, awesomely, I mean, you know, not everyone likes the art style. I think it's cool. But, you know, these really high, uh, uh, good, the, the art itself has very high production value. The, the books themselves are such mass market things. When you're making 100,000 books a year, and I think that they are, um, you really are dealing with a different sum of money hmm. to build those books rather than making them so that they can't die. <laughs> right? This is a even for Dean, even for Wizards, it's going to be a marginal hobby relative to video games or board games, right? The just market is infinitesimally small mm. relative to that. The video game industry had I think more revenue than cinema in 2018 or 2017. 
So Incredible. when you're talking about electronic entertainment and then you take a step down to board games, board games are still a factor of 50 or 100 bigger than tabletop role-playing games, right? The hobby games segment. So ultimately, to get back to actually answer your question directly, I went into Dragon Heresy in 5th edition because I didn't think for a million years that I'd be able to do what I'm currently doing with GURPS. And then you got to do it. It, it, I was like, there's just no way. That's not what they do. But, you know, apparently if you uh, build a reputation for producing quality product that's pretty to look at and people want it, then uh, all kinds of doors open. Mm. Uh, honestly, <laughs> you know, your Dragon Heresy book, I mean, I, I supported that Kickstarter and that is a beautiful book. Um, and I, I, he sent me two. Um, I gave one away to a friend, you know, uh, and, and I think his reaction was like, whoa, this is a bit of a book, isn't it? It's gorgeous. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and, and it, you know how that came about was interesting because you know you pledged at a level that uh, was really designed to get you a color print-on-demand book, but when the Kickstarter did well enough that I could afford the offset print run, I was like, well, you've got now everyone's getting the same book, so these people who really made it possible for me to, to, to uh, afford the full print run with all the high quality, they need more than just, yay, you get the same book as everybody else. So I sent all those guys too. Just amazing. Thank you. <laughs> it really was. And, oh, and, from, and, you know, and, and just from that example, from a cost to produce perspective, for the cost of one print-on-demand full-color 288-page book, I could send somebody four copies of Dragon Heresy that you got. Wow. That's how expensive print-on-demand is relative to offset printing, if you can get over the $12,000 barrier to enter to print that many. So any last words or any tips for the listeners? You know, those people who are sitting there thinking, oh, can I find some time to game again? You know, yeah. Uh, you know, first of all, I think, uh, uh, you know, finding time is always hard. Um, finding a game online that meets regularly and then you can – log on and play for an hour or two hours or whatever the right thing is. And, you know, play every three weeks is, 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 is the good, the right start, find a beer and pretzels type game so that it's low pressure. Mm. Um, and then if you get into something, uh, more intense, uh, or, or more, uh, involved later, then you're ready for it. But, you know, beyond that, just, uh, find the right group of people that you like to have fun with anyway, and, and try some stuff out. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, I may try and do in, in, I don't know, 2019, but certainly in 2020 is uh, a higher volume of much smaller pre-written material. So, you know, you can grab something and say, oh, here's a, here's a five room dungeon or here's a, a five encounter little scenario mm. that people who are just getting back into it can pull out a pre-generated character either from that or from something else, open up this thing and just run through it. Uh, I had a great conversation earlier today with uh, some people talking about the value of solo play, where if you can distill some rules and some reactions and actions enough that you can take one character and walk through an adventure with, you know, oh, roll some dice. And if the dice say this, the monsters or bad guys do that. Hmm. Oh, they attack or they re retreat or they're going to try and surround you or they throw ar they shoot arrows at you rather than charge into melee. But if you can do like you know a small adventure that you could play solo that's a, a good test of your rules but it also really lowers the burden for 
having to force a group together and persuade people to try out this elf game thing. Um, <laughs> really? You want me to do role playing and you're the dungeon master? I don't know what kind of kinky stuff you're into, but that's, uh, I don't think I can talk to you at work anymore. <laughs> um, so anyway, so the, uh, well, you know, when push comes to shove, right, first you have to make time for yourself and then you have to find people with similar interests to, to do it. Hmm. Um, playing in actually, you know, what really can help playing in an established intellectual property helps get buy-in faster playing star Wars or playing, um, uh, a little, you know, Star Trek or playing, uh, even, you know, playing modern games, right? You know, where you're like, oh, we're going to be anti-terrorists trying to, you know, anti-terrorist squad, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, we're going to run through a game like 24 or we're going to be a lower powered version of, you know, like agents of shield. Mm. Right. Um, you know, one of the nicer things about some of the modern media is you can say, oh, my game is a lot like game of thrones but the characters aren't quite as pretty and we're going to have less in front of the camera romance um, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and by romance, I, I'm not really talking about romance. Um, but yeah, I mean, but the, the, the accessibility of fantasy type entertainment, whether it's the Vikings TV show or Last Kingdom, Game of Thrones, uh, the Witcher movie, Assassin's Creed movie, a lot of the stuff that back when... You know, you get stuffed into a locker, your head shoved in a toilet back in 1985 uh, is like, oh, man, that's cool today. Right. So finding an, a group of people who will venture down that path has never been easier. Thanks, Doug. It's brilliant. No, I appreciate you having me on. I hope I hope that our listeners will you know, find something in there, you know, to inspire them back to the table. Cheers, fella. Speak to you soon. Indeed. I hope you are enjoying Roleplay Rescue. If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. You can also drop comments onto the Roleplay Rescue page on Facebook and the even more popular page on MeWe. Just search for Roleplay Rescue on those social media platforms and you can follow the pages with an easy click. You can even email me via hello at rpgrescue.com. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next weekend with another episode of Roleplay Rescue. Game on. Mm-hmm.